0: I'm Rob Skinner, and this is the Rob Skinner Podcast. Today on my program, I'm talking to Jeff Hernandez, whom I've known for over 30 years. In this episode, he describes his story this way. There's a story of a man who was lost in a cave. He couldn't find his way out. From a crowd that had gathered, another man stepped forward and said he'd been in the cave before and knew the way out. He went in and successfully helped the other man out. Jeff was once that man, lost in the cave. The cave represents addiction, frustration, shame, guilt, trauma, and living a life of underachievement. In this episode, Jeff shares about his story and fall into sexual addiction, his long road to recovery, and powerful advice to those struggling with impurity. All this and more on the Rob Skinner Podcast. Welcome back to the Rob Skinner podcast. My goal is to inspire you to live a no regrets life, make this life count, and multiply disciples, leaders, and churches. We just came back from our men's retreat here in Tucson. The title is Generation to Generation. Delano Stewart was our main speaker, and he did a fantastic job. Delano's son, Donovan, just became a Christian recently, and Delano... Brought him and his intern, uh, Daniel, and they just did a fantastic job. I also asked an old friend whom I've known for over 30 years. His name is Jeff Hernandez. He reminds me of this scripture in Proverbs 24, 16 that says, For though the righteous fall seven times, they rise again, but the wicked stumble when calamity strikes. His story inspires me that a man or woman may fall or stumble countless times, but with god he can rise again to serve god and advance his purposes and during the conference the the retreat we had jeff just shared about his struggle with sexual addiction and how he overcame it and he's got a long road to share and i just felt so so much that i really wanted to bring him onto the podcast today to have him share because there were so many people that responded at the retreat as a result of his sharing and Pornography, impurity, sexual it's such a massive, massive issue, and I'm so excited to have Jeff Jeff on the program. Jeff, welcome to the program. Thank you, Ron. Great to be here. (laughs) It is great. I mean, we've known each other since uh, Pam and I planned that church in Portland, Oregon back in 1991. I mean, Mm. we're going way back. That was my first church planting when I was uh, 26, 25, 26, I guess. We
1: both had a lot more hair back then. (laughs) (laughs)
0: But I know you're going to share about, about that story. But sexual addiction is, is a huge issue. I just recently was talking about this on a Sunday, and some of the statistics are, are absolutely staggering. Mm-hmm. Over 40 million Americans are regular visitors to porn sites. The average visit lasts about six minutes, six and a half minutes. Uh, there are around 42 million porn websites, mm-hmm. which uh, totals about 370 million pages of porn. The porn industry's annual revenue is more than the NFL, NBA, and Major League Baseball combined. It's also more than the combined revenues of ABC, CBS, and NBC. 47% of families in the United States reported that pornography is a problem in their home. Pornography use increases the, the marital infidelity rate by more than 300%. 11 is the average Age that a child is first exposed to porn, and 94% of children will see porn by the age of 14. 56% of American divorces involve one party having an obsessive interest in pornographic websites. 70% of Christian youth pastors report they've had at least one teen come to them for help in dealing with pornography in the past 12 months. So, you know, when I hear that yeah. st- statistic, Jeff, I just think, okay, 70% are hearing it, and then the other 30% are just keeping it quiet. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> That's funny. That's so, staggering. Yeah, 60, 68, this is the one that blew me away, 68% of church-going men and over 50% of pastors view porn on a regular basis. Of young Christian adults, 18 to 24, 76% actively search for porn, and I know for those listening, it's, it's tempting to think, well, that's just a guy problem. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just, it's the guys. <clears throat> this, this, this helped me said, is it just men? No. 17, 17% of all women struggle with porn addiction, 20% of men and 13% of women admit to accessing porn while at work. Mm-hmm. So it's no longer just a guy problem. I mean, it's, it's right. really crossing over. So that's what we're going to be talking about, Jeff. And I really appreciate your vulnerability mm-hmm. and, sharing your story, because I know it, I mean, people are very much impacted by your testimony, so let's just go ahead and start. How'd you become a Christian? Well, I was,
1: uh, you were there, but the church planting came in June, I believe, June of 1991, and I was met on the streets of Portland in October, became a Christian in November of 91, so pretty shortly after the church planted, but... Pretty funny story. I'll, I'll uh, make it brief, but this guy named Owen Hodovic, <laughs> super great guy, <laughs> super zealous. Um, I was getting off work. I was in sales at the time, and I noticed that when I'd walk down the streets and I'd go by somebody, I'd look at them in the eyes, and then I would usually look away. You know, And I'm in sales, and I'm like, why do I look away? Why don't I be more confident? I'm going to look at people <laughs> in the eye, and they're going to look away. And so I started... So I went outside, I'm walking back to my car and and the first two people walked by, looked at them in the eye, kind of smiled and they looked away. I'm like, yes. (laughs) And uh, so here comes this guy, Owen Hodovic. (laughs) He's a disciple walking down the street and we lock eyes probably about a block away I'm like, I'm not looking away. I'm not looking away. And of course, you know, he's a disciple going, oh, he's looking at me. And we go up to each other and we just stop and we start looking at each other. And he's like, hi. I'm like, how are you doing? And we just start having this conversation and he um, hands me this card. He invites me to church. And um, you guys were doing a devotional called Radical Jesus. And you had these little tent cards printed out and he gave me one of those. And I didn't go to the Friday Night Devo, but I ended up going to church that Sunday. And... Um, all that week I put that little radical Jesus card on my, on my, uh, desk and I was making my sales calls and I would just like lean back and talk to people and look at the radical Jesus, you know, I was just thinking about it all week Right. and yeah, started going to church, studied for a little while, um, met some great brothers and, uh, became a di- disciple, got baptized in November in the Willamette river, Awesome. a little cold outside, but yes. it was awesome. And yeah, that was it. Yeah. It was great. Great beginning.
0: That, that that first 6 or 7 months that we were there, we left shortly after that. It seemed like it seemed like years. I mean, so much yeah. happened during that time. It was such a great period, but that's a conversation for another story. Mm-hmm. Tell us a little bit about your early Christian life. What what was it like over the next 10 or so years? Um, I think things
1: went really well, you know. I, I was an intern in the church for a year. Uh, I left the sales job and and They asked me to go into the uh, internship, so I worked for the church for a year. Um, I think it went pretty good. Started leading the singles ministry. We had a lot of baptisms. There's a lot of people that we were able to impact and bring to God, and it was just a it was a beautiful church during that time. I mean, you know, every church has problems, but it was um, it was a good beginning. I uh, met a gal. We started dating. I was able to stay pure as a single um, as a single man. We dated got engaged, got married, had never slept together or touched each other inappropriately, and so uh, it was a great start to that, Um, and we um, had a couple kids. Um, We had our first daughter, and then we moved to San Francisco in 2000, and so uh, up to that point, we were basically just leading, you know, Bible talks and
0: house churches and
1: Church was doing, you know, pretty good. We had a few ministers come and go, but um, overall, the church I think was a pretty healthy place.
0: Okay, so you had, um, you had a great start to your Christian mm-hmm, life, yeah. And then, then, then what happened? There, there was a turning point. Yeah. So
1: San Francisco went went to San Francisco, and um, I got into accounting, um, and I got a job in um, doing consulting. Didn't have a laptop, so there was a brother that uh, ran an IT shop and and said he had an extra one for me. And so I I got the laptop and um, started typing in something. And then this link came up. And um, I knew in my gut, and I kind of looked at the title, I knew I shouldn't click on it, right? And I clicked on it. And it was a pornographic website. And so it was the first time, you know, before then, uh, internet was like just getting started. It's kind of hard to believe that. But back in the day, (laughs) internet wasn't really around. So first time I saw internet pornography and I got hooked, you know, I got, I got stuck, um, started a habit, started a, a, a ritual, just kind of a devastating ritual of every two weeks or maybe I'd go two months and, um, um, pull it up again and look at it again. And I felt, I felt guilty and I felt shame. And, um, you know, the one thing that I always am grateful for is I was really open about it. So I always talked about it and always confess it, told my wife and, um, but I, you know, no matter what I tried, I couldn't stop, and it and it continued um, on. And I, I, I tell you, it really did a number on my relationship with my wife at the time. It did a number on my relationship with God. Uh, I just, it, it, it's, I consider myself a prayer warrior. I used to go pray all the time. I can't tell you how many times I just prayed for God, like God, just take this away from me. I just, I hate this part of me, and. I want to stop. And I, I, just begged God to, to take it away from me. Um, but it, it never left. Right. Mm-hmm. I, I continued to act out, um, on a regular basis and, and yeah, I just, I felt ashamed. I felt, um, I felt insecure and embarrassed. You know, it's, it's, it's hard to, you know, you have brothers in your life, right. And you, you call the brother, say, yeah, I'm have some temptations. He prays for you. You get off the phone and, and then you have to call him the next day. say, you know, I acted out yesterday and, it just it's it just it just hurt the relationships you know people didn't know what to do right i got I got um guys trying to be really loving and just like bro, I believe in you, and then you got other guys trying to rebuke you and you know get the devil out of you and right. you're like right. bro you you're a sinner, you need to stop doing that and um you know neither neither approach really worked I, I think we do the best we can, but you know people really aren't equipped to try to help people overcome addictions in the church you know I mean we've got the Bible right, but um yeah, eventually I I had a broken relationship with God. It wasn't working, you know. Whatever I was doing wasn't working and um
0: I was stuck. So, okay, so what were the consequences? What what happened? What that was the year 2000. What happened over the next 15 years or so. Mm-hmm.
1: So, we moved back to Portland eventually. Um the we we moved to the Bay Area for a couple of reasons, one to help out the marine sector, uh, Lee and Ronda Deloney were were leading that, and they knew we had some family in the area, so um, so that was the other part of why we went there. As my wife at the time had some family in the Bay Area, so we went to be close to them and help the church, and so that was great. But then the the church in Portland started doing pretty bad, and they st- were looking for some couples to move back, and we were kind of in a place financially; we weren't doing that great, and there's no way we were going to be able to afford a house, and so we st- we you know they kind of they thought of us actually and said, hey, you know how are you guys doing here?" And we're like, well, it's okay, but we've, we've been thinking about maybe moving back to Portland. And they're like, wow, perfect. you know we're looking for couples to move back. So we came back and um, yeah, the church had gone through a lot um, the couple that was leading um, stepped out of the ministry or stepped out of leading there and then Portland kind of didn't have somebody leading the church and had just gone through a lot and that, that was the time actually that Kit McKean. Was asked to come and interview, and he came and um, took over the church. So that was kind of interesting, you know, like, oh, Kip McKee's coming to lead the church. <laughs> that, that's kind of interesting. And so um, he came back. And uh, so personally, I was still struggling a lot with my addiction. Um, again. And, you know, didn't matter who my discipling partner actually kept discipled me for a while. And then Steve Johnson, when he came, he took over and he discipled me also. So I had some pretty good discipling partners trying to help right. me with this problem. And I wasn't able to, to, uh, to stop, um, did a lot of damage to, to my wife at the time. You know, she went from again, being super like, you know, I, Hey, I love you. I support you. I'll, I'm here for you. Um, to just like you know, I'm tired of hearing about this. Go talk to the brothers. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. This, this is really old. One, I'm going to say this. One of the things that we um, we actually talked to some elders. They came and did a um, a marriage retreat for us. And one of the things they were talking to the sisters about is sisters, you need to you need to love your husbands. You need to have sex with them and help them so they don't struggle with their purity. You know. And we pulled them aside and talked to them afterwards because. Uh, what what I now know and what we believed at the time is, um, it's really not up to the wives to help their husbands stay pure. I mean, it, it is helpful to have a night, nice, you know, a, a good relationship with your spouse. But um, my wife was at the time was very giving, and she would give, and you know, we'd have we'd have a um, a nice relationship, and then the next day I would act out. You know, so um, she felt a lot of pressure. She's like, I'm doing the best I can. I'm giving as much as I can, but then I come home and tell her I, I acted out and. Looked at pornography, that didn't really help her intimacy very much. It didn't really help her to want to give to me again because here I right. was looking at other women. So that teaching was really hurtful, and we tried to just share that whenever we could. It's like, you know, it, it's not really up to her to try to keep me sober. That's really my job, right. you know, in sobriety. Um, things uh, continued to escalate, and eventually, um, eventually, you know, my wife at the time asked for a separation. This was probably like 2015. And so we separated for a year. And, you know, the goal was for us to just work on ourselves, try to get sober. And I had um, met some guys. Um, I, I met a, a guy named Matt Burton. And Matt was doing work with a, a nonprofit called Helping Men Heal. And he came and spoke at a, a Christian breakfast that I went to one time. And he was talking about how. Um, there's a lot of resources for women who have gone through trauma, but there's really not very many for men who have gone through trauma. And he started talking a lot about male trauma and I started thinking about my past. and I'm like, man, I've, I've been through a lot. You know, my, my dad was super abusive. Uh, he was super physically abusive and emotionally abusive and just not super close. Um, I had some issues with ADHD, so school was really hard for me. I'd come home with two D's and two C's and a B and I, I just feel like, you know, feel like garbage. Right and super just down on myself, and just like, man, I get in trouble for, you know, for um, acting out in class a lot, you know, trying to be funny, and get people to like me, and say funny stuff, and um, I would, I would come home with a bad report card feeling like junk, and he would, he would beat me with a belt, you know, he's like, man, that's, you're, you're doing terrible, and, and uh, why can't you be like your brother, you get good grades, and, um, and so, you know, it, it just created this Insecurity in me, you know, this this shame and insecurity. It, it made me feel. He didn't make me feel that way, but the way I felt was like, you know, I, I'm inadequate. You know, I'm less than most other guys. You know, and so, anyways, um, this guy Matt was talking about male trauma, and I and I started thinking, you know, because for a long time I just thought, well, that's normal. My dad disciplined us, right? But I started thinking, and 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 then I also started going to therapy and realizing. No, that's not normal. That's not right. a normal way to treat your your right. child. You know what I'm saying? So I had to realize that um, that was not right. So, but Matt eventually introduced me to a Twelve Step program SA, and I started going to SA, and I entered. That was the first time I entered into recovery, and so it was really helpful. Um, um, but uh, it did create some longer term sobriety. I, I think I got like six months and nine months one time, but. Um, but when we went into our, our, um, separation, um, I was really, you know, I could make it maybe 60 days, but then have a relapse. And then eventually after a year, her therapist that she was working with and, and my, um, my former spouse, um, they basically said, look, you know, we're going to give you an ultimatum. You know, we feel that after a year, if you cannot maintain sobriety, you're probably not going to change. And so, um, we're gonna get back together in ninety days. And if you haven't been sober, you know, I'm gonna recommend that your wife files for divorce. Of course I made it about forty five days. I had to relapse. And um, you know, I was honest with them. I said I, I'm I relapsed after forty five days and uh, surprise, surprise, she filed for a divorce and um and that was that. So
0: Okay, let me just stop you right there. I mean, how how were you feeling? I mean, you you're you're converted in the kingdom. Mm-hmm. Uh, you'd kept it pure and all of a sudden your wife saying, I want to, I want to, what was going through your mind?
1: Yeah. Well, at the time I was begging her to, to keep going. I'm like, we can do this. I, I know I can do this. I know we can work through this. Please don't do this. You know, I, I really was desperate and trying looking back. I mean, I don't blame her. You know, I, I, I she really went through a lot. She was there for me for a lot. Of, we were married for 22 years and, um, you know, 15 of those I was acting out. So, um, you know, came to a point where she just, she had to be strong and say, you're not changing, you know, and um, that's, you know, I, I I care about you and, you know, it has nothing to do with my love for you. It just has to do with, I can't keep doing this, you know? And that's the other thing right now, like my wife right now, um, you know, we are recovery coaches and she helps the women who are married to addicts. And I think that was maybe one of the missing pieces. She did have a counselor she was going to, but um, I think that's one of the resources that's really missing is a lot of these women, they don't know how, how do I help my husband? You know, what do I do? Should I be hard with them? Should I be loving to them? You know, should I keep having a lot of sex with them or should I not have sex with them? They don't really know. They don't really have a plan. So they need a program just like men need a program right? or vice versa. If the other one is an
0: addict, you know, uh, it doesn't really matter. So, okay. So what, so she filed for divorce. You guys mm-hmm. got divorced. Mm-hmm. What What was it? Were you still going to church at that time? What was yeah. going
1: on? Yeah. So so that was 2016. Um, that was the hardest year of my life. You know, that was the hardest year of my life um, by far. So super awkward. We both were still going to the Portland church at that time. Um, I would go, you know, sit in a, a pew up, up front or to the left, and people would come like, oh, where's your wife? I'm like, well, you know. You know, Mika's back there. But she's not my wife anymore. We 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 got a divorce, and that was, you know, we didn't really we didn't really announce it in church, so I had to kind of tell the story over and over again. Um, yeah, I was like in my late forties. You know, I'm like, do I start going to the singles ministries now? You know, like it just oh they were all college age. You know, singles and you know younger singles, and there's a few older ones, but um, it just like I felt like I didn't belong anywhere. You know, I didn't belong. You know, I wasn't going to go to the marriage ministries anymore they right. I think they had a marriage retreat coming up and i'm just like i'm not going to that you know right um but i didn't i didn't feel super comfortable with the singles either um i think that i think during that time the church honestly i'm not going to talk too much about the church but it was it wasn't super encouraging for me i would go and i was really hurting bad and um you know i'm starting to miss church a bit and i'm still going to recovery during that time but then I've gone to church and just, I would leave feeling more discouraged than I came. And so eventually I just, I, eventually I stopped. Um, I know that I was, um, and then I was, I was still in recovery for a little while, but honestly I felt super defeated. I was mad at God. Mm-hmm. I was disappointed by God. I'm just like, God, I, I don't know what I can, you know, I don't know how many more times I can pray or ask you for help. And like, nothing's changing, you know? And I was mad at the elders. I was mad at the church leaders. I was mad at everybody for not helping me, you know? Um, but I think people just do the best they can to help you. But, um, I didn't really have the solutions at the time. So eventually I stopped going to church and eventually, um, in 2016, I just said, forget it. Why am I, why am I, going to all these meetings and stuff like who cares. And so I just stopped, I stopped going to recovery as well. So okay. that's kind of when my addiction went a little deeper and I kind of, I got into, um, online dating. I just like was super lonely and, you know, started going out, you know, to bars and stuff like that. And, you know, felt awkward. I was just older, this older guy, you know, I felt like an old man, you right, know? Right. And, um, but, um, yeah, so I was doing a lot of dating. I was going out with non-Christian women and, I was also, I was trying to st- stay somewhat connected to the church, you know what I mean? Like, but I'd go, so every like once a month I'd show up at the church, and again, it was just kind of a, not a super encouraging situation, so I'm just like, God, why don't I keep coming back here? It's just not, it's not working for me, not helping me. Um, I was trying to get, um, I know there's a couple singles uh, websites through the church, and so I joined one of those and started having some conversations with sisters but i just wasn't really making too many connections that were super encouraging for me i met some great sisters and we had some great talks over the phones but it was kind of like you know there's a sister in russia she's like you should come visit (laughs) (laughs) i can't afford to go to russia but you know anyways so um i tried that but i just i wasn't really in a great spot spiritually you know i was just really down and so um yeah i just got into a mess got into a mess and just it, it got worse before it got better.
0: Okay. So at that point you just basically gave yourself over to it. Yes. Okay. Yes, you, I just said you, stop fighting it. Okay. So can you tell me what happened? Like what what how how long was that period? What was involved? What what were you doing at that during okay. that time? So probably for the next 3 years. So
1: from 2016 to 2019, I just I just said I'm just going to go for it. So the uh the main thing so dating be, kind of became my entertainment. You know, I just went out on a lot of dates. Um you know, sometimes just a, a one-time date or whatever. And then, um, I got, you know, I had a series of girlfriends during that time. Um, you know, I, my, my addiction expresses itself a, a, a little differently. I, I mean, I, I was having, you know, sex with, with women and, and just, um, you know, I, I was just, I, I didn't really care. You know, I was afraid, you know, I was afraid of my, cause I, again, I still, I would still pray on occasion and still be like, man, if I die right now, No, I'm living in sin right now. I am not right with God. So I was afraid. And so I I was, I kind of had like, you know, one foot in, one foot out, you know what I mean? But I was all in my addiction. And then maybe my small toe was in you know church right. Right? right so i'd go to church every once in a while i was kind of looking for some solutions i started going to like another church of christ in town and that was okay but you know there's no place like home you know right. there's no place like the kingdom of god and right. so i'd visit these other places and it'd be an okay service it'd be pretty inspiring but um you know you just it was hard to meet people nobody ever really reached out to me you know and um i learned a lot about going through a divorce how much people need other people in their life. It's kind of interesting because I, I never felt more alone, but every once in a while, somebody would call me out of the blue and just be like, Hey, I've been thinking about you. I just want to see how you're doing. Um, there were, there were a couple brothers and sisters that were going to Iceland in 2017 and they needed a, they needed one more guy. And, um, they called me up and they said, Hey, you know, Jeff, we, we know, we, you know, you're a little older than the average person going on this trip, but we, you know, you, you have that awesome spirit about you and we'd love for you to come. And so I went on this really great trip to Iceland in, in 2017. And it's those little memories I have of the people that showed up for me, mm-hmm. that were there for me, regardless of how bad things were going for me, you know, personally, spiritually. Um, I really, I really meant a lot. And so I, I think about that now, too, when when I hear about people going through like a divorce or something really hard. I always try to make the phone call and, and reach out to them. And because right. I, I know it's hard to pick up that phone, you know, I needed help. I needed people there and I just didn't have I didn't have the ability to pick up the phone and call people for help, you know. And so it was really great that people were willing to do that for me. But um, so, yeah, that went until about 2019. I, I basically was just out there and I created I created a lot of problems. I did some, a lot of damage, you know, a lot of it was selfish. Sometimes I would, you know, I was using women. Sometimes they were using me. I'd meet gals that I really liked. And I realized, God, they just wanted to have sex with me. You know, they just, they used me and that it hurt, but I was kind of doing the same thing sometimes. And, um, it changed. It started to change in, in 2019. I met, I met somebody that I really liked. Um, she was great. We started developing feelings for each other and I started dating her and, Typically, I would, you know, I had a few girlfriends and they lasted about two to three months and they were like, all right, I'm out of here, you know. But I started being a little more picky. I started, you know, after about three years, I started getting kind of tired. You know, it's like, it's a lot of emotional energy. It's a lot of money on happy hour, you know what I'm saying? (laughs) I'm going broke here. Right. And um, I really did want to start settling down and I met somebody that was really great and I'm like, I really liked her. Um, I told her that we probably wouldn't work out because uh, on her profile, she, she said, I'm not really religious. I don't know that I really, you know, I'm I'll ever be really religious. And so I was like, yeah, I started kind of looking for more like Christian women, you know, right. as, as funny as weird as that sounds. Um, but I was willing to go out with her, you know, um, you know, I thought she was attractive and she seemed kind of cool. And so we went out and had it hit it off really well and built this relationship and we started dating, you know, and, um, um, it's sort of uh, my disclosure to her was kind of a slow process. You know, you don't really put on your profile, I'm a sex addict. You know, like that doesn't really get you dates very well. So you kind of have to keep that on the down low. But um, eventually um, what it was is she, you know, she was married to um, a guy who after, I don't know how, how long after, but the last, I think, 10 to 15 years of their marriage, you know, he, he was an, he became an alcoholic. And so she she kind of had to deal with that. And then, you know, that's why she left. They were married for like 24 years. And so she was talking about um, alcoholism. And, and I started, you know, I had, so I had in my recovery, I was going to SA meetings, which is a 12-step group that is founded by the AA group. And what's SA? Oh, SA stands for Sexaholics Anonymous. Okay. Yeah. So it's basically, it's a 12-step program that's just like AA um, or was basically founded by AA members. So we kind of follow the same model, but I had gone also to, I would go to AA meetings because, you know, part of my recovery, I was going to like 90 meetings in 90 days. So I was going to meeting every single day. And so sometimes I would, you know, time wise, I'm like, oh shoot, I forgot to go to my other meetings. And so I'd go hit an AA meeting and, you know, I, I'm not an alcoholic, but I would kind of identify as being an addict, alcoholic, right, you know, and right. check in. Anyhow, um, so I and I read the the big book, the Alcoholics Anonymous um, book that they have, and it's it's an, an amazing book, and uh, has really taught me a lot. And and so I I started talking to her about alcoholism, you know, like well, you know why addicts are why alcoholics do this, don't you? And she's like, no. So I started telling her, she's like that's amazing. That's really helpful. How do you know that? (laughs) And I'm like, well, I, I, you know, I I went to some 12 step programs in the past and, you know, I've had some issues around addiction, you know? And, um, so it's kind of a slow reveal, you know, and, and eventually I told her, yeah, I, you know, there were things in my life I was doing that I didn't like, you know, um, mostly, mostly pornography, you know? So I would look at pornography and, and not feel good about it. And so I started going to 12 step program for that you know so she's like oh okay cool and then um yeah so we you know our relationship continued but then um i came home one day from work and told her um you know this this was probably after dating her for probably about six months or nine months i'm like you know i um i'm feeling guilty because i you know she was being all lovey-dovey and i kind of was feeling distant you know and she's like what's the matter i'm like i'm like well i looked at pornography today on my phone you know while i was at work and um she looked at me and she's like, it, it kind of the light bulb went off. She's like, you're a sex addict, aren't you? Still, I'm like, I just had to admit it. I'm like, yeah, I am. I mean, it, it slowed down when we were together, you know, but it was still there. You know, it didn't go away. And um, time doesn't make addictions go away. Uh, they're, they're, they may sleep for a while, but they're always there. Sure. So that's when I came back into recovery. Cause I knew I'm like, you know, if I'm ever going to want a relationship long term, and especially things were going really well, I'm like, man, you know, this woman's amazing. You know, I, I can see a future with her and I knew I had to get sober. You know, I knew it. And, um, she was like, she just looked at me. She was like, I don't know if I can do this. You know, I just got out of a relationship. I just got out of my marriage. She had been divorced about a year year and a half and she's just like i don't think i want to go back there again you know right you right. better get some help
0: mm-hmm. right <laughs> so i'm like okay right. i'll get some help and so you guys were living together at this time yeah okay so you've yeah. been living together for a little while mm-hmm. and that's when you you brought it out like okay yeah. i got an issue mm-hmm. okay yeah
1: Once, once she was in and no backing out, she's like, great, you know, I fell in love with you. Now, now you tell me, so. Okay. So Um,
0: she's emotionally connected to you at this point. mm -hmm. You're living together. There's, there's definitely a bond.
1: Right. Exactly. Okay. So, so that's what, um, so I call, I end up calling this guy, Matt Burton, who I, who I mentioned and, um. I would, it's kind of like you, actually, you you two are very similar. I'd call you like every five years, check in like, Hey bro, (laughs) doing awesome. Like, Hey bro, I'm not doing very good, but how are you? You know? Um, I think I came and visited you once in in, uh, in Ashland. Ashland, It was awesome. I wasn't doing that great, but it was great to see you guys and have fellowship. Um, but anyway, I called Matt and I talked to him, and uh, I, I told him, I'm like, hey, I'm going back to SA, you know, I'm gonna give that a shot. But part of me was a little bit scared because I know I had been in SA before and I wasn't able to stay sober, so I'm like, okay, well, I guess I'll go back, it's the only thing I can really think of. But I called Matt just to chat with him about it, and he said, um, funny enough, we're, you know, we actually left our, uh, the nonprofit, it's still going, but we, we've stepped down. And what I'm doing now is I'm starting to do addiction recovery coaching. And I just started, I just went through, so he studied through a program, uh, with a company called AASAT, which is uh, American association of sex addiction therapists. There's a guy named, there's a therapist named, uh, Dr. Doug Weiss. He's really well-known in the sexual addiction recovery community Been been a therapist for like 30 years, has a super well-known practice, written like 40, 50 books. Um, and he started a program to, to train therapists and counselors on how to help people overcome sexual addiction. So he's he's training people to help them. Because uh, to be honest with you, most a lot of therapists out there, they do a lot of great work, counselors, but they're not really, again, they're not really equipped to, to know how do I help somebody overcome sexual addiction. So a lot of times you go to a therapist and they... They don't really know what to do exactly. Um, so he developed a whole program and he's helped so many, you know, hundreds of thousands of people overcome sexual addiction. So he's got a, he's got a, um, a coaching platform that he does. So if somebody doesn't want to go back and get their master's degree, they can just become a coach. So um, Matt told me about this program. I'm sound, like, sounds great. He's like, it's just like individual counseling. We meet, have individual sessions. And I also have these work groups that I do. We meet once a week and just check in and, um, and they work really well. So I'm like, all right, sign me up. So I signed up. And then as well, my wife, they also, his wife works with, uh, the women or spouses to help them. And that was really helpful for my wife as well, because she was able to really work through some codependency issues she had, you know, she didn't really realize, but she was, you know, um, very codependent from her prior relationship and with me as well. And she had to learn how to set proper boundaries and, and how to deal you know, with the, uh, with the trauma of a, of a spouse being an addict, you know, she had to learn, you know, how to deal with that. So she started getting help. I started getting help. We'd have a couple of sessions together. We would have individual sessions and I started doing the work groups and I was going to the 12 step program essay and the combination of those two. Um, it worked. Wow. It worked. I, uh, um, the last time I acted out was in January of 2021. I got awesome. sober.
0: Congratulations. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah, it's awesome.
1: So, um, <clears throat> yeah. So, so we've been working with Matt ever since, and um, um, just a just a wonderful program. And um, okay, so yeah.
0: So you're you're in this relationship. You're 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 li- living in sin, so to speak. Mm-hmm. But you're recovering. What happened? Okay, how did how you navigate this new relationship with? non-Christian wife mm. doesn't like God or doesn't be indifferent toward God. I guess it's it, yeah. easier to say what happened.
1: So yeah, some, some amazing things happen, I guess, once I made the decision to start coming back to recovery, um, you know, God, God always works on you. You know, even when you're gone, <laughs> he's, he's just, he, he's working on you. And, um, so some, some really cool things happened. So one, um, my, um, you know, my, my girlfriend, I guess at the time, she started seeing me reading my Bible and started seeing me read recovery material. She'd come out and I was reading my Bible. She's like, what are you, what are you reading? And I'm like, (laughs) I'm reading the Bible. And she's like, well, tell me about it, you know? And she was really interested, you know? And, And, um, you know, she, she, you know, she said she was a Christian and a believer and all that, and wasn't really active in church, but she'd never really read the Bible. So I started telling, telling her stories and talking to her about the Bible and she just was, she just soaked it up. And, um, and so that was a really cool thing. So, um, so I took her to church. I took her to a a church of Christ in town and she was like, we're not going back there. That place is boring. You know, it's like, okay. (laughs) So we started kind of looking for places, but what we started doing is watching the Bay Area church online. So we started watching the San Francisco and, she got hooked on Russ, you know, Russ is such a great speaker. She's like, Oh my gosh, I love that guy. That's so awesome. I mean, they got such a great service. And, um, so we, we were, we did that for like a whole year. You know, we were, we were, that's what we were doing during quarantine. And, um, um, and then she's, again, we both started going into recovery. Um, and I, um, I also was spiritually, we were doing that, but we were also doing a house church with some brothers uh, in town. There's a there's a brother named Richard Quilley. Uh, hey, Richard, hope you don't mind me saying your name, but he was having a house church. And so that was actually Richard. Richard was one of those guys that were just there for me the whole time. Uh, even in my darkest moments, he was still there and loved up on me and we would get together and talk and, you know, he would share scriptures or just, you know, just encourage me. We'd sing a lot of karaoke together. So that was awesome. <laughs> um, I got pretty good at karaoke by the way, but, um, but Richard, uh, Richard was having house church. So we started going to that also. And they became really good friends with, with both of us. And, um, um, I slowly started coming back to God, you know, and the, and the program helped getting sober really helped. Um, and Richard helped and, and we did some studies and, and um you know, I don't know if there's anything out there that's restoration studies. I didn't do anything like that, but we did we did talk and, and um one of the things that happened was I, I I knew in my heart, you know, like the first time I got married, you know, it was totally pure and this one I know was totally different route and felt kinda of guilty about that. So I asked my um my we got engaged uh and I asked my fiance, I'm like, Hey, could we have a period of abstinence before we get married? Mm-hmm think that'd be really special and so we did we we, um, we stopped sleeping together and I moved into a different room we were in the same house and uh, we, we had a, about two and a half months of being apart and just working on recovery and working on our program working on our relationship with God and it was a tough time it was hard once you you know once you go there and then you stop all of a sudden it was really difficult but it was it was the right thing to do and it felt really awesome about going into our marriage um, I did a lot of, you know, interesting work on on kind of breaking the bonds of the other women that I had slept with. I did a lot of, um, in recovery, we do these thank you goodbye letters. So I thanked them, you know, thank you for what you gave me at the time and said goodbye. I can no longer, you know, think about you, fantasize about you or, you know, have a bond with you in any way. And, and you know, I just really prayed for God to break all those bonds so I can go into my relationship with my wife um, in our marriage um, being pure. So um, I don't know if it worked, but it, it felt good to do it. Right. And, and it felt like a, a a piece of repentance to do that. So right. um, so we got married in June of 2021. And um, the other amazing thing that happened is my wife just, you know, she asked for a Bible. We went and bought her a Bible at Powell's. And then um, I started doing Bible studies with her. And then Richard and Connie Quilly uh, helped to study with her as well. And uh, my wife was baptized. Uh, she said she wanted to get baptized. We did it. We did a, a cross study, and she was. Uh, we were just bawling together, talking about Jesus. She, she fell in love with God, and she wow. fell in love with Jesus, and she got baptized in July of two thousand twenty-one. Oh, wow,
0: that that is incredible. <laughs> That's just an amazing
1: story. Yeah, uh, I like to say, you know, don't try this trick at home, kids. You know, like I wouldn't necessarily, I wouldn't recommend the route I went, but it was a route that I was on and, um, we serve a merciful God and I I can't explain it. He's just been really good to me, even despite of just my, um, my stumbling around and just my, my ways, you know, he's been, he's always there when we decide to come back to him. You know, you read the story of the prodigal son, you're like, Oh, that's a great story, you know, but when you live it and you come back to God and you're just like, you know,
0: I'm here for you. It's just, it's amazing. You know, it's amazing. Okay. And so where, where are you at now spiritually? What, what church are you a part of? What are you, what are you doing right now?
1: Yeah. So, um, so yeah, I, we knew, I, I knew that like we need fellowship, you know, this is the Bay, the Bay area thing worked for a while. Then when they started meeting in person, their services got a little shorter. And, uh, again, we kind of started looking, but really what happened is I started praying, you know, and, and, um, again, the Portland church, you know, I really love the folks that are there and leading the church, but it just, it, it just seemed like it wasn't the right place for me to go back to, you know, it just wasn't, seemed like it wasn't doing great and some different teachings going on there now. And I just was like, I'm not, we're not, we can't go back. I can't go there, you know? And so we started praying and what happened was uh, a brother called me and said, Hey, we're, uh, Kelly Boyd, who leads the Eugene Church, is coming to town, and he wants to get together with anybody who wants to meet with him and just um, have some fellowship, you know, and, and he he's thinking about, you know, maybe having like a house church or something like that, and I said, that sounds great, so um, so this brother told me about that, so we went and met with Kelly, and and there was uh, maybe about a dozen of us or so, like 12 of us, and he just wanted to hear our stories, and, and he said, yeah, I've been I've been really thinking about the Portland church and the Portland area. I know there's a lot of disciples here, and um, um, some of the things that were happening in Portland, he just felt like maybe there's people that need support, and, and we did, right? And I'm like, yeah. He's like, we're still kind of, we found a couple to take over the Eugene church, um, and that kind of frees us up. Uh, but we're still going to church there on Sundays. But we'd like to come here on Saturdays. And if you guys are interested, we can have like a house church or something. So we had the first couple house churches at our house, and then we started um, we started meeting. Um, we just found a a park that has like a indoor area that we can meet at. So we've been having church services there. Um, you know, I got you know with so few people, I got involved. I'm the song leader now. <laughs> And that's how desperate we are, but uh, you know, uh, the karaoke paid off, I guess. So I started singing songs, and um, we created a board. I'm 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 one of the board members of the church. Uh, we started a church called the Bridge Church of Christ. Um, I uh, filed the federal tax ID and the Oregon um, the Oregon uh, registration, and so we are an official church now it's pretty small. So anybody out there in Portland would like to come. We are meeting on Saturdays at two thirty. 30, um, <laughs> little commercial there, but yeah, we started a little church and it's just been encouraging. You know, it's a great little church. Um, again, there's probably like five couples that come right now. And, um, and I'm going to call. I'm not going to say everybody's name, but Greg Dixon is going. Who's who's the brother that was baptized on the same exact day I was? Wow, back in 1991. So that's crazy. That's awesome. He's
0: going too. So it's wow.
1: great to reconnect with him.
0: Okay, I'm interested in just kind of focusing more now, Jeff, on just how how a person can get help. Okay, you've got you've gone through just the ringer, and it's it's quite a quite a journey, and yet. God's worked, and that's mm-hmm. that's pretty exciting. It's really inspiring. But can, I, I'm one of the things that I thought of is like how how do you define being sober? You use that term. I hear mm-hmm. I hear sober, and I think about alcohol. But how do you define it in terms of sexual addiction?
1: Yeah. So in terms of uh, the definition of sobriety, it sort of depends on which group you go to. But for for me, when I joined the SA. They define what sobriety is, so I don't have to like think about it. But basically, it's it's no sex with yourself or no sex with anyone outside of your marriage, so your spouse. So that's what they consider to be sober. There's a little there's a little thing that people um, in our program even kind of forget to read. But the second part of that is and progressive victory over lust. So, um, so actually, some guys could go to the program and look at pornography, but if they don't like masturbate or have sex with somebody, they still consider themselves sober, but I you know, that's kind of silly. Right. So, um, so you can also add in some additional things. So for me, like I consider myself sober if I didn't look at pornography or masturbate or have sex with somebody. Okay. So that's why my, um, you know, I look, the last time I looked at pornography was in 2021 Jan- January, but I don't consider my sobriety date until April. Cause I was sleeping with my fiance at the time. So a true sobriety date is the day that we stop sleeping together in April.
0: Okay. How, how do you define an addiction? How do you know when you go, okay, I've crossed the line. I actually have an addiction here. Right. That's a tough one, right?
1: And um, there's only one person that can really say that you're an addict, and that has to be yourself, right? So, And the problem is that most most people who have an addiction – don't want to admit it, you know, right. they, they don't want to face the fact that they, you know, and that was hard for me too. Right. I, I would go to the 12 step programs. And I'm like, these guys are pretty messed up, you know, mm. right. <laughs> Cheated on their spouse or got into prostitution or, you know, voyeurism or child pornography, or whatever. And I didn't do all that stuff, but you know, so it's, so it's hard to say, you know, I'm an addict. It was hard to admit it. You know, I'm a lot more comfortable now saying I'm a sex addict. You know, I got a bumper sticker that says I'm a sex addict. No, I'm just joking. (laughs) I don't go to that length, but I'm a lot more comfortable with just admitting it. And, um, when I think about addiction, what I think of is two things. One, there's something that I'm doing that I don't want to do, but I can't stop. So for me, it had to be, is there something I'm doing that I I don't want to do? And I, but I can't stop it. You know, um, and the second part of that is doing something that has adverse consequences if I do it, but I still do it anyways. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think back, uh, when I really realized I have an addiction, it's, it's when I lost uh, a job because I looked at pornography at work. I mean, that was super embarrassing and came home with a box of all my stuff, had to walk in my door and tell my family and my wife that I lost my job because I looked at pornography at work. And I was unemployed for two months and then, this was when I was in accounting and then I got another job, which is a better job as a, a, a controller. I had a team I was managing. And after about two months on the job, I was working late one day and I, uh, I don't know what was going on, but I, I, I gave in and looked at uh, pornography at a, at a work computer there and I'm just driving home, just shaking my head going, what is wrong with me? Mm-hmm. You know, like why would I risk this great job? I just got like, I, I, t- I don't get it. And so, um, I knew, I knew at that point, like I have a problem, you know, and I think I had been acting out for about five years up up to that point or so, maybe, maybe seven years. And so I knew, you know, I knew for me, like I knew I got a problem with this, you know? And,
0: um, okay. So I'm sure there's, there's people, it's a continuum, right? You've got people on the extreme side and then you've got people dabbling in it and then you've got everything in between what about a person listening and, and they've been a Christian a year or two or three or five or whatever. Mm-hmm. They're not into it every day, but you know, it's comes up with regularity over the course of like three years. It's pretty consistent. Sure. It's like every 30 days or every mm-hmm. three weeks, it's like, Oh, I'm, I'm feeling that need and it, and to get into it. But it's, they don't want to say I'm an addict. Mm-hmm. They don't feel like I'm that that far into it. But at the same time, it's, it's an issue. Yeah.
1: Yeah. What do you do in that situation? Well, that's, um, you know, it's a, it's an interesting question because the, um, you know, it's hard to, it's hard when you're there, you know, it's, it's every addicts and and I'm not going to say that these people are addicts, right. But it's every addicts wish to control and enjoy their addiction (laughs) without, you know, without having to call themselves an addict. Right. So, It's kind of like alcoholics, you know, before they really admit that they're a true alcoholic, they try all sorts of different stuff. I'm going to just drink beer, Mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. I'm going to just drink hard liquor, you know, or I'm only going to drink on the weekends. And Mm -hmm. so we go through this process of trying all these things, all these gyrations to stop this behavior, but it doesn't work, you know. And so, I think that's kind of the point where you have to look at it and say, are there things happening that you, you, is there a cycle that you can look at? You know, for me, it took a long time, you know, it took a while, you know, and, and it's, the problem is you can go two months maybe, you know, and, and, and be fine. But then all of a sudden, bam, it just hits you out of nowhere and you're like, ah, I was doing so good, you know, right, exactly. <laughs> and so it's confusing and frustrating, um, but what I also learned is that there's a lot of different types of addictions, sexual addictions. And so like one of them is a biological addiction. And so once we train our brain and we get used to receiving pleasure a certain way, and we repeat that over and over again, um, even though it may be every couple months, it does create these uh, neurological pathways and it, it, it does change us physically. We, mm. we are, it is a, it is just like a drug addiction The the um, the high that we get from sexual addiction is a drug addiction. You know, all the, all the uh, chemicals that get triggered and fired in your brain, it creates an addiction. So when that's happening um, it, people need a plan. We need a program to, to, to change, you know, so there's tools that um, they can get. And uh, the, the, the thing that happens also is sometimes people will, will, maybe not be too bad and they'll go to a program like a 12 step program. And then, and then they go maybe once or twice and they're like, I don't know, that's weird. I have to say I'm a sex addict when I in, right. and introduce my name, you know, right. and and uh, I don't know that I'm a, a sex addict and maybe they go to a meeting that's kind of weird and guys are older. I don't know. Right. They just can't relate. Right. And um, so then they don't go back. Right. And, um, and that's fine. And in the, in the AA, when the early years of AA, uh, first started, it was only the really hard cases that would get sober, you know, because they were, you know, they're homeless and everything was a wreck, right? Um, but if you read the forward to the big book, it, it explains how um, after many years, guys would come and, and by hearing the stories of the older alcoholics and how their lives were kind of manageable uh, at some points, but then they got drunk over time and, and then they lost everything, they could kind of see the vision, like here's where I am now, but if I keep drinking the way I am, right. um, I can see that's where I'm gonna end up. Right. And so for for some folks, if if they're um having repeated relapses, but you know, the rest of their life is still functioning, I say, you know, Amen. I'm glad that life is still going well. But if there is something that's happening you can't stop, you know, just keep going keep going if you don't think that there's a problem and let's give it another year and see what happens. Wow. You know what I mean? So what, okay. that's what, that's what the old timer says. Go out there. and Okay. You don't have a problem. Great. Go out there and do some more <laughs> research and development. And see, <laughs> We'll see you in a year and see what, how
0: it, how it is. Exactly. I hate to laugh. It's just, yeah. Now what, what happened? What, what about a person who's in a relationship with someone and how, how can you tell the signs of a person who's really struggling in this area? Whether it's, a husband, or mm. whether it's a roommate, like what, what should a person be looking for it? Um Well, yeah, so
1: the, if it's a, it's kind of different, right? If it's a husband or wife and, and the, um, so the thing that we do, um, what's interesting is that we, you know, I think God gives us a conscience and God gives us, um, the spirit in us right so my wife kind of always knew and I was terrible at hiding my guilt and shame so like and even my current uh, spouse now like she knows when I she walks in the door and she's like what's wrong you know I'm mm-hmm. like nothing <laughs> she's like what's wrong <laughs> nothing um you know I'm not acting out the same way but I still have daily challenge, you know, I still have challenges, right? right. I still have temptations and, and um, I still have down days where the temptations are strong and I'm, I'm fighting, you know, and I'm fighting and uh, I, I may not have given in, but I've, you know, but sometimes if I'm not having a great day, she just knows it. So I think the first thing is just, you got to go with your gut, especially right. if you're married to somebody. Second thing is just, you could, you can ask them directly, you know. Um, the thing that we do also in our in my program and, in, and when i first started getting coached is we did a polygraph test and i know that sounds maybe a little harsh wow. but um so here my wife was about to get married to a guy who says oh yeah i haven't looked at porn and done anything since january and how do you how do you um, how do you believe somebody right you know, who has right. A, a, a sexual addiction history there's really only one way to really know. And so what we incorporate with married couples is to go through a polygraph test. Wow. And yeah, it was intense. Wow. They strap you up, (laughs) (laughs) you know, like, um, and, uh, they we go through a scripted questions. And so here's, here are the five questions that your fiance wants to know, you know, have you made contact with any of your old girlfriends? You know, have you, um, Slept with anybody since you've been intimate with her and, and been exclusive with her. So I went through those and, you know, I pass, of course. But um, funny enough, a lot of people don't pass, you know, a lot wow. of people that say they're sober um, and say, yeah, no, I have not been doing anything. You know, there's signs, you know, and it's hard, you know, because some people are really good at hiding this stuff. And so right. um, those are some of the things that we can do. But wow. at the end of the day, you really don't know, you know. Um, but honesty is, is really one of the keys to sobriety and to getting well, is uh, being willing to be honest with others and honest with yourself. Yeah. You know, I was pretty good at lying to myself. I was pretty good at lying to God. And, um, Let me, okay, yeah.
0: so one of the risks, I mean, there, there were so many great responses from, from your, just your short testimony mm-hmm. at the retreat. One of the things that was really touching to me is there was a guy that came up to me and he just said, you know, I've struggled with this for years. And and times I lose hope. And he said that you really gave him a lot of hope. Mm-hmm. What, what would you say to a person? This has been a long time challenge. Mm-hmm. I mean, can a person really change? I mean, it seems from your story, I think that's what's inspiring. But what would you say to that person?
1: Yeah. Well, <clears throat> I think one of the things that one of the consequences to acting out a lot is the shame and the guilt that goes with that. You know, you, you know, here I was, um, I mean, I, I love God, you know, and I, I was doing the best I could. But every time you fall short, you just feel like you're letting God down. And so one of the mind shifts I had to make is I'm not a bad person trying to get good. I'm a sick person trying to get well. Mm. And so one of the things that I tried to share with the brothers, like, you're you're not a bad guy. You're, you're sick. You know, if this is something that's happening in your life, you need help. You know, you need a plan. Right. And um, again, you know. You would think, you know, we have the Bible, we have God, we have prayer, and you'd think that would work and be enough, but for me it wasn't. I needed something more. If mm-hmm. my relationship with God was good enough to get me sober, it, I wouldn't have needed something else, but I needed something else, and I think a lot of brothers and sisters probably do also. So that's the first thing is, like, let's just get rid of the shame and guilt, and, and but let's get a plan, right? right. Uh, one of the ways that we can really lie to ourselves, um, one of the biggest lies we can tell ourselves is I can handle it. Right. Okay. You know, so I was talking to some brothers that love Facebook, right? I can't go on Facebook. I can't go on Instagram. I had to get rid of those accounts and just like, there's just too triggering for me. I'm very stimulated by computers and, and phones and, and, and all that images. And so for me, I had to get rid of, I had to really make some hard decisions and it was tough. I had to mourn the loss of my Instagram account. Mm-hmm. I loved it. Mm-hmm. Man. I had all my concerts on there that right. I went to and all my selfies when I was single, but I, I had to delete it and just say, I can't go there. You know, I can't. So we're really good at lying to ourselves and telling ourselves we can handle certain things that we can't. And so part of the um, part of the recovery work is just being accountable and setting boundaries and just saying, you know, if this if this is how you, you know, where where does your cycle start? What happened? What's what's kind of the beginning process of it? It could just because it's Tuesday and why not? You know what I mean? Um, So there's not always a a reason. But um, sometimes, um, you know, for me, I just got to limit my screen time. You don't okay. really know, I how much time I'm on the, on
0: the internet. Okay. So that's, that's one, just limit your screen mm-hmm. time. You shared some hacks or some tips. I know that we don't have time to do a complete, I mean, mm-hmm. that's why you're doing the coaching is to give, give so much help. But can you just give some starting t- tips? So like, sure. how do you, how do you even just get a handle on, on sexual purity yeah. if you've been struggling with it?
1: Well, one of the things that people think we, we do to help is to try to help them, um, stop acting out and that's not really what we do we try to help people not start acting out because just like an alcoholic if they have one drink they're going to get drunk right mm-hmm. and so for somebody who struggled with um, their purity uh, we have to be convinced that we cannot handle a drink you know i i am um like an alcoholic you know my drink is is looking at something you know so i cannot handle it and and so for me i'm very um, I'm very diligent now about, you know, what I look at and just, you know, so like I'm driving down the road and, uh, maybe there's a billboard that's really provocative. Right. And I, you just kind of look up and you notice it and you look away. Um, and that could just be a split second. And then my brain, my addict brain says, that looks pretty good. Why don't you have another look? Right. And if I looked back at it, that would be my first drink. So, so just seeing something isn't my first drink. Looking back at it a second time is my first drink. Unless the first time I look at it, I pause for like 10 right. seconds, then yeah. I'd be drinking, right? Yeah. So I have to be convinced that I cannot handle it. You know, and that's the you know the 12-step program. The first step is I'm powerless over my lust. You know, um, and my life has become unmanageable. So um, if, I, if I know I'm powerless over it, I need to be honest with myself that I can't handle taking the first drink. And so... You know, sometimes you see something that's just triggering and all of a sudden you got the, the the obsession, the temptations are coming, and that's when I need to go to work. So um first thing I do is I pray. You know, I have a very specific prayer I do that that is really good. Um it's a three step prayer. But the the um um the first part of it and I'll I'll share it with you, but the first part of it has a word in it that that really was kind of one of the one of the keys to my sobriety and it's called the word surrender. Um Fighting addiction does not work. You know, trying harder does not work. I, you know, we've probably, I don't know how many times I've gotten advice like, bro, you just need to try harder. You know, it's kind of like working with somebody who's got a depression. You don't tell them, bro, you need to try harder to be in a better mood. Like, okay, that doesn't, thank you, bro. That's not very helpful. (laughs) Um, I'm down, you know, like I'm depressed. It's like there's a physical, neurological problem happening right here. And, you know, trying harder is not going to solve it same with sexual addiction. So the word is surrender. It's, it's me. You know, I had prayed, I prayed wrong so many times for God, please take this away. I wanted him to do the taking away. And I had to realize I had to be the one giving it up. I had to be the one saying, God, I can't handle this. You know, you know what? I know it. So I give it to you. I give up my right to look back at that billboard. And I'm not going to do it. And I'm gonna I'm gonna surrender. So I surrender my right, God, to look at that billboard, um, or let's say it's a person, right. So the second part is I pray for that person, God. I pray for them. I pray for this individual. I pray that she has great relationships. I pray for her, you know, to, to do well financially. I pray that she that she finds you, God. That somehow she could seek you and find you. Mm-hmm. And the third step is, God, I pray for myself that you would fill me and give me what I'm looking for in my lust. I pray that you would help me to find what. What uh, what's missing right now, and the reason why I want to look back, whatever it is, I pray that you would give me that.
0: Right. You know, I thought that was so powerful when you shared that because yeah. there's something driving us, mm. and and just that that third prayer really kind of yeah hit me.
1: The other the other thing I got to do is I got to get on the phone. You know, I got to get I I part of the um, part of the benefits of the recovery program is you build a, a big group of people around you that are, um, that are in recovery. And so you just, I make a lot of calls every day. I make, you know, two to five calls and got people calling me, um, already have taken a couple calls today, guys just checking in and calling you. And, um, by, by being close to these guys, you know, I can call them anytime, you know, and if I, if they're not around, I just keep calling and you just talk it out. If I bring, if I take it in, I got to get it out. You know, I'm like, Hey, I'm, you know, if I did take, let's say I did take a first drink at that billboard, I would call and say like, yeah, I just drove by billboard. I looked at it, you know, twice. Um, I just want to confess that and be open about it. And I got to get it out. You know
0: what I, what I find so inspiring about your situation is that you, you've gone through the dark Valley. You've, you've come back out. I mean, it's a very unorthodox pathway. You've gone through divorce, remarriage. I mean, just so challenging. And yet you've come back, come back to God. You have fought for your sobriety but now you're into coaching now mm. you're you're into helping others can you talk a little bit about that and, and yeah. what what you're doing
1: yeah so after about 9 months of sobriety um the the folks that were helping us and coaching us you know they i guess my uh, you know 30 years of being a disciple kind of you know paid off a bit um leading house churches and bible talks and they kind of noticed that when i would you know cuz we the, the difference in our recovery groups that we have through coaching is that we allow feedback you know you go to a 12 step program they don't allow any crosstalk or feedback and so you can share and get everything out but nobody ever says anything back to you so in the recovery groups though we disciple each other you know we we give each other feedback and like you know bro i noticed that you haven't got any meetings and haven't been making any phone calls and kinda sounds like you're isolating you know so anyway so i would you know i would share and give feedback and and um, so our coaches were like, man, you're really great talking to people, Jeff. And, and, uh, I know you're pretty bored with the accounting work you're doing. Have you ever thought about doing this coaching stuff? Mm -hmm. You know? And and I'm like, not really. And, um, we looked into the program that they had and it's all laid out. It's, it's just a great program and it helped me to get sober. And I'm like, my wife started encouraging me. She's like, Jeff, you're so good at talking to people. And I think you'd be really good at this and you really should think about it. And, um, know financially we're in a good place and and um we have uh, a good income source you know um and so we we have the ability to go for it you know Mm -hmm. so i quit my accounting job we we started studying through aasat became certified coaches um went through this program and uh, we're under mentorship right now with dr doug weiss we get on the phone with him once a week and with about 10 of the therapists and they we all kind of bring cases and talk about case studies and it's really great and uh, we also studied through the Arizona Trauma Institute to learn a little bit more about um, trauma and get certified there. And now we're also studying through uh, the Gottman Method, uh, talking to families about, um, you know, more on the healthy side of how to have a good marriage. Right. So we're, we're just trying to soak up and learn as much as we can. And so that's what we're that's what we decided to do. So mm-hmm. my wife was super supportive. Uh, we decided to go for it. So, yeah, we have a company called um, Loving Wings Recovery. And, um, uh, it's been amazing. You know, we're, we're still fairly new in it, but we're, uh, we're, we're, getting up, we're getting some traction.
0: Well, let's say a person's listening and they go, know, I'd really like to find out more. Maybe they're not totally ready, ready to commit, but just want to talk or, mm-hmm. or get some advice. How would they reach you?
1: Yeah. So I think the best way is just to go to my website. Um, what, we what need, is, what's we, the website? We again? need some more hits on here. <laughs> um, so I'm going to plug it, uh, lovingwingsrecovery.com. So the, um, yeah, in our wedding, we had, uh, Dave Matthews does a, does a song called Loving Wings. Wow. It's awesome. You guys should listen to it. But so we kind of stole his little song title there and, uh, loving wings, And, you know, there's a contact us buttons everywhere and just shoot me an email from there. And then, um, what's really great. And what I offered to all the brothers at the, at the conferences, um, you know, for me, it's not really about the money. It's, this is now have become a little bit more my mission my purpose you know to help others and so um, I love talking to guys I'd be glad to talk to anybody and not charge them anything so I told these guys you know call me up I can get you started get you into a 12-step program you know no no cost for that um, if people do want some additional help and they feel like you know they're married and right. their wife's kind of going through it and they just or they just need a little bit more help then I do individual sessions and right. so we charge just like a counselor would but I also offer a sliding scale for disciples and, and, and folks that need a little more help financially. So it's not really about the money. Um, the other part that we do, so we do individual sessions. Um, my wife does individual sessions with, with the spouses. And then we also have these recovery groups. The recovery groups are great. We, we cap them at eight people. We call in once a week. We just, we have a very um, uh, rigid program that we go through and we, we track uh, activity and behavior Behavior is very important, you know, um, doesn't matter how you feel. It's like, what did you do? You know, mm-hmm. how many meetings did you go to? How many right. did you pray in the morning? Did you pray in the evening? Um, did you make phone calls? How many did you make? Some things like that. So we check in on that. We have some open sharing and then we provide feedback. We, we kind of help each other in a loving way just to, um, to, to stay healthy and we check in with our sobriety date. So those recovery groups are great. We meet once a week, um, and then um, I think that's about it. Yeah, we that's have. Awesome. Yeah, we have couple sessions too for like married couples as well. So
0: right. Well, looking back, Jeff, I mean, it's it's an amazing story. What advice would you give to a person who wants to make this life count but feels really burdened by by their struggle with purity?
1: Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I can relate. You know, I can relate, and um, I think the thing that I was thinking about is it's important to find people around you that have gone through what you've gone through and have come out the other side. Mm -hmm. And so that is one of the benefits of going to the 12-step program is you're going to meet a lot of people that have been there. And, um, you know, there's a lot of people in the 12-step program that are relapsing and you can hear their stories and be like, man, I don't want to be like that. I want to be sober. Mm -hmm. But you guys, you got guys that are hitting six months sobriety or nine months sobriety or a year sobriety or uh, this other guy. I know the first time I was in the program he stayed sober and now he's at, he just got his eight year chip and wow. I'm like, Oh man, I could have been eight years, you know, <laughs> I got one year, you know, but um, you know, which, which I'm fired up about, Amen. you know, but um, so you have guys that have been ahead of you and they can relate to you. And all our stories are unique and different, you know, um, so, but um, you, we can identify with each other. Right. You know, I know what you're, you know, I know what you're going through. Right. Cause I've been there, you know, so um that's the thing about sexual addiction in the church is you can feel super alone, you know, because everybody else is doing so great right. spiritually. They're right. crushing it and here I am, you know, acting out every two months and it can feel really um lonely, you know, and isolating. And so um you know, sometimes God God works outside of the church and for me that's it I had to go somewhere else. And find people who knew how to deal with this, who knew how to help me out right. of this problem. So that's awesome. That's the biggest thing I'd encourage people to do: is find find. And there are, you know, there are disciples who are. And there's a lot of disciples who have overcome this as well. I know Dave Widener's in Idaho. He's doing great work um, helping people on. And I kind of like. Um, dabbled in that a little bit for a while, the first time I was in recovery and then I kind of just blew it off. And so, but he's a good guy and he's helping a lot of people. So there's a, there are disciples and there are programs out there. Um, I just encourage people to try to
0: find him. That's right. Jeff, thanks so much for the time.
1: Thank you, Rob. This has been great just to share my story. I appreciate you and I love you a lot.
0: Love you too. Thank you so much for joining the Rob Skinner podcast. If you're enjoying this podcast, please hit the subscribe button and let your friends know about it and how to find it. Because my goal is to inspire you to make this life count, live a no regrets life, and multiply disciples, leaders, and churches. Have a great day, and make this life count.